Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to start in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, and then I'll ask you to hold your thumb there, and we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 17. But I want to share with you a word that the Lord is kind of, not just kind of, but dealing with me, and spoke to me on the subject of faith and hope. And if I could title the message, I guess I would read it like this, that every superstar needs a supporting actor. I've never preached from this um, thought. And in fact, it was while I was in Michigan and I was reading the word, the Lord gave me a little twist out of Hebrews 11 and Genesis 17 that I was able to tie together. And I love it when God does that. I love it when he connects the dots and, and just, you know, it really, really just kind of brings revelation into your heart. And so I want to speak to you today on that thought. But I really want to impress upon you, even if, I will, if you will let me in this 11 o'clock service, I don't just want to impress something upon you. I want to put a demand on you. Now, I know saying that I'm going to put a demand on you will make some people nervous. And some folk will say, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to resist that because ain't nobody, ain't no man going to tell me. And ain't, <laughs> ain't nobody going to tell me. Uh, and simply because it's a demand, we will resist it. But I have an urgency in my spirit to say this to you, and I want you to write this thought down. Do not compromise your integrity. Amen? Say that out loud with me. Do not compromise your integrity. Now, I believe that this is a prophetic word and a powerful word for not only Bethel Family Worship Center and whoever's watching today, but I heard the Lord really speak to me on the thought of don't compromise. Don't compromise and don't forsake godly conviction. Now, people say, well, does the Lord speak to you? A lot of times. Now, I've had people say, does God speak in an audible tone? Have you ever heard the Lord speak audibly? And honestly, I can say there's been probably two or three times that I heard a voice that shocked me, literally riveted me. But most of the time when God has spoke to me, it sounded like this. Ah. Everybody say, ah. And what was that? That was God saying, you better not do that. Amen? So God will speak to you in what we call your knower. When you know to do good and you know to do wrong. When you now have knowledge of right and wrong. The Holy Ghost to come along and speak eh, and speak to you. And so I heard God really speak to me about compromise and godly conviction and to hold fast to it. And so this morning I felt so compelled when I came out of prayer to tell Bethel Family Worship Center, don't settle. Don't give up. And don't give out. This was really resounding in my spirit because I've been in intercession in the last three weeks for sure, and I knew that God was taking me into a place of prayer and consecration to Him and fastings. And I really, really drew to the fact that God was telling me that we have entered into the last quarter of 2022. And what we have seen in the natural is a result of what has happened in the Spirit. Now, you have to understand that anything that happens in the spirit has a natural effect. Anything that happens in the natural has a spiritual effect. Hence, the writer who said that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus gives us the power of binding and releasing from one dimension to another. From one realm to another. So that's why I'm not shook up with whatever happening in the world. Come on, smile at me. I'm not, I'm not in dismay. I'm not depressed. I'm not, I can't get out of bed. I, I, I have as much joy and vigor as I have if I watch the news or if I don't watch the news. But I heard expressly the Lord say that we are closing out the quarter of 22 
and we will be ushering in a year of signs and wonders in 2023. Now, I didn't say that in the first service, but I'm releasing that in this service, that 22 has been like the rebound. We came out of 21 a little timid, tiptoeing, post-COVID. What do we do now? How do we get people to come back to church? How do we get people to get along? And then we came into 22, and it's like, all right, I think we got the ball back, and we're learning how to put the team together. But in 23, it's not just a rebound. In 23, it's signs and wonders. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Oh, let me, no, let me get my head of myself, January. But I really believe that God is bringing us into a place of fullness. And so this is not the time, and this is for whoever's sitting next to you, and probably not you, but this is not the time to become spiritually lazy. Look at somebody and said, I'm glad you were here to hear that part. But I want to make an observation this morning, if I can, and I want you to write this down. And this goes along with not being lazy. Everyone that God called was productive. Every person that Jesus picked, whether it was the fishermen who came out of the fisherman business, whether it was those that came out of the IRS, a tax collecting, whether it was those that came from the physician's office, everyone that Jesus picked was productive. You never see in Scripture where Jesus called a lazy person. Amen? And I look around the room, and I don't know everybody's business, and I don't know everybody's story, but I know a lot of y'all, and I know that you're not lazy. And you don't just sit around on the couch and eat Cheetos all day. You're not lazy. You are after it. You've got something to do. You've got something to fulfill. And you have a drive on the inside of you. But Jesus never called lazy people. When he found the disciples, they didn't find him because he was never lost. So when you find, some people say, well, I found the Lord when I was 13. No, you didn't find him. He was never lost. You received him. <laughs> but when he found the disciples, they were working on their job. They didn't call off to go to King's Island and fake being sick and use one of their sick days. Oh, it's quiet. The Bible said that they left all to follow him. And after they followed him, he taught them. And after he taught them, he trained them. Jesus called people who were already on the move. He was drawn to movers and shakers. He was drawn to people who were productive. Now, I, I took the word busy out of my life and out of my vernacular a few years ago. I'd have people come to me and say, Pastor, I know you're busy. Pastor, I know you're busy. And I felt like that when they were saying that, that I was somehow giving off the impression that I was too busy for them. So I stopped using the word busy and I started using the word productive. Now, look at somebody and say, I've been productive. So when Jesus found the disciples, they were productive. They were making moves and they were doing things. Now go with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament because the Bible tells us, Paul's writing here, we believe that this chapter is called the Hall of Faith because if you read the entire chapter of Hebrews 11, it tells all of the, uh, all of the things that happened to people who had faith. And, and so we call this chapter, it's a very inspiring book. And this particular chapter will lift your spirit up and encourage you. But the Bible says in verse 1, it begins this chapter by saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, it isn't that Paul said later faith. He said now faith. Now, you can interpret it and say you have to have a now faith. Or you could interpret and say now faith. Faith is, however you bring that scripture to light, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so faith has a substance called hope. So I'm believing for something. I'm hoping for something. And then he says hope produces an evidence. I don't always see it. I don't always know what it is. But hope springs forth evidence. Evidence is something to believe in. Evidence is something tangible. 
Evidence is something you can say, aha, I see it right there. Now, go with me back to Genesis chapter 17 in the beginning of the Bible. And I want to read a story about a man by the name of Abraham. And God begins to have this conversation with Abraham when he's 100. He had previously gave him a word when he was 75. God told him he was going to have a child. Now, I don't know if you're in this room today and you are 75 or older, but the fact that you would say, God's going to give me a child at 75, uh, in today's world, <laughs> you'd be like, not me, not me. I'm going to go to the doctor and take care of that. I don't want that to happen to me. Uh, I'm trying to live my best life and spend my children's inheritance. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm enjoying myself. I'm going on trips. Come on, somebody. But the Bible said that God had gave him a promise when he was 75 that he was going to have a child, a promise, and that he would have a son. And we know that eventually he did have a son by the name of Isaac. But there was 75, from age 75 to 100, none of it came to pass. And now he's 100, and God is speaking to him. What do you do when you've been going to church for 25 years? Somebody poured oil on your head and prophesied, yea, I say to you. And you've been holding on to that word for 25 years and asking God, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's not going to happen. That happens in our life because God doesn't always explain to you the process when he issues you the promise. There is a process attached to the promise before you ever walk into your provision. <laughs> and so he has this conversation with Abraham again. Look at verse 14. He said, and the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of the foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And it is in verse 15 that we pick up. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, at this point, Sarah is like 99 years old. And if you've been called Sarai for 99 years, who do they think they are? They're going to change my name now that I'm 99 and going to try to change my name. I heard somebody say, well, you can't teach an old... Well, you understand what I'm saying. You, it's like, how are you going to try to shift gears now on me? But God had a promise when he took the I out of her name and put the H in it. And if you study, if you study the Ha of God, then you understand that God was putting his name in Sarah. And he was taking Abram's name and made him Abraham. He put it, his self in his name too. I don't have time to teach that. But the Bible said that he said, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. Woo! God telling the husband, I'm going to bless your wife. And I will bless her, and I will give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her. This is the second time that God spoke blessing. A double blessing for the wife. <laughs> a double blessing for the soon-to-be mom. A double blessing for the lady who just got her name changed. I will bless her. I will give her a son, and I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of people shall be of her. God was saying, I'm not only going to bless her once. I remind you I will bless her twice. She will be a mother, and out of her, kings will come. And I felt like God was releasing a word to this body at Bethel and saying, you got kings in you. You've got blessing in you. You've got prosperity in you. You've got nations in you. And though you may feel barren right now, you still got kings and nations that are in you. You may feel even broke right now, but you've got kings and nations in you. You may feel lonely right now, but you've got kings and nations that are in you. So I heard the Lord say, you cannot judge what's in you by what you see around you. I can't judge the word that God gave me based on what I'm in or what I'm around or what's around me. You cannot judge what God put in you based on what's around you. Come on, somebody. And then the Bible goes on in verse 17 of this chapter. Look at this. Then Abraham, after he received this word, fell upon his face and laughed. 
Now, I don't know if he had a laughing spirit or I don't know if he had a, well, you know, you got to be kidding me, God. This is too far-fetched. I mean, what on earth is this word? But the Bible said that he laughed and he said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old and shall Sarah that is 90, 90 years old, 90 years old, brother, can she bear? And I thought about this, that Abraham falls on his face after God gives him a word, and he begins to laugh out loud and say, God, maybe you missed the wrong person because we as old, we is up there. And he fell on his face, and he said, are you for real, God? And today we would say, are you for real, real? Are you real, God? Are you really trying to tell me that now that I'm 100 and my wife is in her 90s, that she going to have a baby? There ain't no way. I'm too old. Sarah's too old. We all too old. It is too late, God. I haven't been taking my Geritol pills. We, we is too old to be have babies. And I'm prophesying to somebody right here, and I want you to hear in the spirit what I'm saying. You've said too much has happened, God. You said we've been through too much. We've had too many valleys. We've had too many experiences that have been hurtful in our life. But I come to inform you that God told me to tell you to say in whatever is in front of you is not your point of reference. Whatever is in you is your point of reference. If God put a word in you, then you can hold fast to that word, and that word will come to pass in your life. I have a yea, I say very Verily, verily unto you and declare that God's word will come to pass. In fact, the word said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's a word you can hang on to. You say, Pastor, uh, there's just been too much happen. I'm too old. I got too many miles on me. But if God gave you a word and God gave you a revelation and God spoke promise and provision, rest assured a baby is on the way. Now what are you going to do when the baby gets here? Somebody said, well, if you could talk to Abraham and Sarah, they'd say, well, my neighbors aren't getting pregnant. My friends aren't getting pregnant. We old, all my school friends, ain't none of them getting pregnant. You got to be joking, God. And this is the conversation that Abraham has with the God who has spoke to him in person. And then the Bible says in verse 18 that Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. You see, Ishmael was Abraham trying to figure God out. Ishmael was not waiting, was Abraham not waiting on God? When God said, this is what's going to happen, and, Ish, and Abraham said, well, I'm going to have to help God out. I'm going to have to hurry this thing up. And so Abraham has now got a child, not Sarah's child, but a child from one of his handmaids, Sarah's, and his name is Ishmael. His mother's name is Hagar. And he says, surely this little dude come out of my loins. Surely he can be the child of promise that you are speaking about. And Abraham said, I got this other kid over here. I know I jumped the gun. I know I got ahead of you. But it just happened, God. <laughs> So since he's already here, why not just use him? I mean, he's here. I know it wasn't your perfect will, but he's here. And you know, at some point, we try to convince God that our way is better than his. And God says to him, no. <laughs> Look at verse 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God was saying to him, Abraham, listen to me. I'm not talking about Ishmael. I'm talking about Isaac. I'm not talking about some substitute blessing. I'm talking about Isaac. I'm not talking about a counterfeit situation. I'm talking about Isaac. I don't need you to cover for me. I don't need you to cover for me. I'm talking about 
Isaac, you don't have to try and make it look good to your friends and family. I'm talking about Isaac because I'm going to establish my covenant with him and it will not only be a covenant, it will be an everlasting covenant, his seed and your seed after him. This is what I'm, God is saying to Abraham. And then God, who is a God that's in charge, who is mindful of every situation, he addresses Ishmael. And he says it in verse 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes will come out of him, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant... My covenant I will establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at the set time in the next year. So God tells him, I heard what you said about Ishmael. I know he belonged to you too. Here's what I'm going to do. I will bless him too. Twelve princes will come out of him. But he's not the one that I'm going to bless with an eternal covenant. It's going to come from Sarah, who I double blessed, who I changed her name so she could birth it out. I'm going to bring it through her, the eternal covenant. And so it's not anything that you've seen so far. <laughs> but God says at this set time, my God, at the set time you're going to have a baby. In other words, God was saying you got three months to get pregnant and you got nine months to have the baby. Because at the set time, you're going to have a baby. Get busy. That's what I heard him telling Abraham. At this set time next year, you're going to have a baby, my God. And so I want to spiritually direct you and tell you that when God releases a promise over you, he's not talking about the stuff that you did ahead of him. He's not talking about the stuff you did without him. He's not discussing the stuff that you did under the radar. He's talking about the stuff that he wants to do in the open and that he wants to bless you coming in and bless you going out and get busy now, put your seed in the ground now, and harvest is coming. Come on, somebody. Isaac is coming. Yes, Ishmael's there, but Isaac is who God wants to beautify bring forth. And when he had said that, he left Abraham and did not talk to him. He left him with that word. What do you mean? <laughs> you mean I'm going to have a baby? What do you mean all this stuff's going to happen? And, and so God began to speak to him. And when he releases this word, he just leaves him hanging on that word. That brings us back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As you continue to read down that chapter, you see it gives a long dissertation of all the people who did things by faith. And there's so much that is said about faith in our Christian circles that sometimes we misunderstand the text. Stay with me. There's a lot of times we hear preaching and teaching on faith and we shout about it and we drop the hat and shout, and we drop the mic and shout, and we scream and holler on Sunday, and then we don't know how to live it on Monday. Faith is a walk. Faith is a, a muscle you use, not a pill you take. <laughs> and so there's a misunderstanding sometimes about faith. And so you would think when you read the text, all of Hebrews 11, that the star of the text is faith. Well, look at that faith chapter. And look at the faith it took. And look at the faith it had to have to have that happen. But faith is not the star of Hebrews 11. Faith is not the star of the text. Let me tell you who is. Hope is the star of the text. Hope is the star of the text. And faith is the supporting actor. Stay with me. Let me say it again. Hope is the star of the text. And here comes faith as the supporting actor. Because if faith is the substance of things hoped for, then hope is the star and faith is the support. Hallelujah. If you don't have hope, then faith don't have a job. you got to have hope so that faith knows where to work. Woo. They used to sing this old song in the church that faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't, it don't take a lot. Just use what you got. Faith. Anybody old school? Two people. Anyhow, faith 
isn't the star. Hope is the star. And here comes faith as a supporting actor to say, now I've got a job to do. Let me say it again. If you don't have hope, faith has no job. And so I begin to think about that post-COVID as a church. Let me tell you why I know that it's getting increasingly difficult to get people to come to church. The reason it's becoming increasingly difficult to get people to come to church, and I want you to write this down. Here's what I heard the Lord say. They have lost hope. We are living in a society and in a world where people have lost hope. And I know you've lost hope because I can tell by the way you eat that you have lost hope. When you used to be hungry for the word, I can tell when people lose hope because they're no longer hungry for the word. They're more hungry for NFL. They're more hungry for NBA. They're more hungry for Hallmark Channel. <laughs> They're more hungry for Dr. Phil. They're more hungry for Yellowstone. Come on, somebody. They're more hungry for Netflix. Ooh, nobody wants to preach with me here. They're more hungry for HBO and Disney+. Plus. Can I get a smile from somebody if I'm hitting you? Uh, they're more hungry for those things than they are the Word of God. And this is the reason people have lost hope, because they're not hungry for the Word of God, and they're losing their hope. And the Bible said that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Come on, somebody. By the Word of God. When your faith has nothing to do, when your faith has no job, when your faith has nothing to get behind and support, you're not going to be hungry for the word. You're not going to need it because you got nothing to do. What drives you to come to church is so that you can feed your faith and get your inner man built up and strengthen yourself. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if there's nothing in front of you, and if you're just going through the motions and your life has become ritualistic and routine then you're not even listening to me good this morning because you're just tuned out to what's happening on the internet. The only people that hear me that are really listening to what I'm saying today are people that are in process this morning. People who are in a fight for their life. People who are hanging on by a thread. People who got up this morning and said, I'll give it one more chance. I'll give it one more opportunity. But if something don't change, Those are the people that are hearing this word this morning who are sitting on the edge of their seat. They're leaning in. They're intently listening. And they're saying to the pastor, come on now, pastor. Talk to me. Preach it to me. Say something to me. Talk it to me. Used to be some lady in our church when I'd get to preaching, she'd yell out, shame the devil. And then she'd yell out, spank the devil. And then she'd yell, come on now. Let me tell you something. We need to be so fired up in our spirit to hear the word of God that we we pull the fire and the anointing out of those who are bringing the word of God. It is based on your hunger. For the hungry people that are here this morning, I could guarantee that what you're saying is this. Listen, friends, I didn't come here this morning to show off my new tie. I didn't come here this morning to show off my new socks. I didn't come here this morning to see who was doing and driving. Why I came here because I've got to feed my faith. I came here because I need God to undertake in my life. I came here because I believe it for a miracle to turn my life around. I believe it for household salvation and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to drop heavy. I'm in a fight for my life. I need a word from the Lord. If you need a word from the Lord, high five somebody and say, I need a word from God. I need a word that will anchor me so I can go forward. I believe, write this down, you should be your best customer. I practice what I preach, at least I try to. I can only tell you what's working in my life. I should be my best customer. You should be your best customer. I can't ask you to do what I'm not doing. <laughs> I preach salvation by grace through faith in Jesus because I know it's true. I live it. I believe it. 
I preach tithes and stewardship because I believe it and I do it. I can't ask you to do what I won't do. I preach leadership principles because I've seen them work and I know they do. I preach father, son, apostolic covering because I know it works. If people can get a hold of it and work it and stay with it, it will produce evidence the results that they're wanting to see. See, hope is an expected end. Say that with me. Hope is an expected end. It is an expected end. It's not necessarily a specific process. But hope is an expected end. Write that down. When all of it's over, this is what I expect. When the dust is settled, this is what I expect. Hope has nothing to do with the process. It has everything to do with the destination. Hope is a broad perspective. It's not always specific. You won't always know exactly how God's going to bring it to pass in your life. Hope is broad. God says, let me work my work in you. Abraham, I'm not talking about Ishmael. You tried that. That's not what I wanted. I'm talking about Isaac. If you will let me bring it to pass. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become? If you will let me bring it to pass in your life, you will reach an expectation. Your expectation will be revealed. There will be an evidence to your expectation. What you have expected will be evidenced. It'll come to pass. And so maybe you're saying this morning, Lord, you put a business in my heart. That's my hope. That I'm going to launch this brand new business. And maybe you've seen buildings where you've been driving this week. You say, I see a building. And I want to execute my hope. My hope is that I'll be in business, God. That's my expected end. I will be in that building. I will be in that business. I will be profitable. My faith says, this dude needs a building. This hope needs a building. Now I got a job. My hope said I hope to be in that building. Come on, I'm just giving you illustration. Faith now says, "Woo! I got my assignment. Now I'm going to start working on this hope here. So hope has nothing to do with the process. It's about where you're going. Are you hearing me? My faith said, now he needs a building. Now if this building doesn't come through like I want it to come through, don't you dare think I lost my hope. Just because things didn't turn out exactly the way I hoped for them to, faith is still working. <laughs> faith is still behind the scenes saying I still got a job. I'm going to cut some corners over here. I'm going to do some dips and turns. I'm going to swing around. I'm going to bring a turnaround. I'm going to bring you out of a breakdown to a breakthrough. This is what faith is saying. I got a method for you because my faith is still active. Oh, my God. Can I tell you, just because it didn't work out the first time, I'm preaching to somebody, just because it didn't work out the way you wanted it to, doesn't mean that your hope is lost or that your hope is gone. Take the faith that God gave you. It might be a mustard seed. It might be very, very large. But if you got faith to get in a helicopter or an airplane or to ride a motorcycle, then you got faith to believe it's not over till God says it's over. It may have took me a long way around but I believe that God is going to turn this thing around to bring my expected end now how does faith do that sometimes faith says okay now what I want you to do is change the method of what you're believing for change the method sometimes you have to change the method amen so maybe your fishing pole is not working so you got to get a new fishing pole a different one so I may need a new fishing rod. I may need to use different bait. Oh, how the church has had to learn how to reach lost people in this last season. I may have to use different bait. 
And if that don't work, I may have to use a different hook. Mm, I wish I could drill down on that. So I might have to change my rod. Might have to change my bait. Might have to change the hook that I'm using. All of that. I may have to modify something. I may have to modify the hook, but the expected end is still the same for me. And whether I bring it in by a hook, or I bring it in by a new rod, or a new bait, or however I get it in there, one way or another, it's getting in my boat. One way or another, what I believe God is coming into my boat. One way or it may be years that pass. It may be trials and tribulations. But one way or another, I feel the Holy Ghost here. My bait, my hook, my rod, whatever method it is, I may have to do a switcheroo. I may have to switch things up a little bit to go understand what God was trying to do. But one way or another, I'm putting it in my boat and I'm not coming back to the shore empty-handed. You won't catch me empty-handed. I'm coming back with what God said. Oh, I wish I could preach this morning and tell somebody, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare settle. Don't you dare throw in the towel. Put it in your boat and believe one way or another, it's coming back. I may have to toil all night, but I'm bringing it back in this boat. I didn't come this far to live this life to come back empty-handed. It's going to get in my boat. Elbow somebody, punch them in the arm, something, and say, it's coming in my boat. We talk about faith, we preach about faith, we teach about faith, and faith is not the problem. The problem is we're talking to people who have settled. This is going to make somebody mad. We preach about faith till we're blue in the face. Have faith in God. Trust God and have faith. But we're talking to people who have already made up in their mind that they're just going to settle. In a court case, when a court case is being litigated... Many times before you go into litigation, they will give you the opportunity to settle. And a lot of people settle not because they're innocent and not because they're guilty. They settle because it will cost too much to litigate the case. And sometimes when it comes down to a case where you have unprecedented expenses, you will settle the case because you don't want to pay the exorbitant, uh, did I make that word up? The large <laughs> fees of the lawyer. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, I received that. I said it's a word. Google it, Google it, it's a word. <laughs> it's on Wikipedia right now. <laughs> and because you don't want to pay that large expense, you would just go ahead and settle the case, I'm, hear, I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord here this morning. But there comes a time when and if you are a highly principled person that to you it don't matter the cost. It's about getting to the facts. Come on, somebody. And whatever it costs you, you say to the judge, no, judge, uh-uh, I'm not settling. I know it's going to be expensive. I know it's going to be inconvenient. And I know that we're going to have to go through this whole jury pool and all that. And I know it's going to be tough. But Mr. Judge, I refuse to settle. Don't get mad at me. But I guess it's too late now if you do. All around me I see people who settle. Church members who settle. Ministers who settle. Pastors who settle. I just recently finished mentoring about 10 pastors in another state and walking some of them through. Not everybody made it through. I see people who settle with less than what God promised them. And it hurts me and it pains me. Who just made up their mind. This must be all that God wants. I guess I'll just settle here. And they stop swinging. 
They stopped praying. They stopped believing. And they don't realize that if Abraham had quit, Sarah would have never got the double blessing. Somebody is hanging on to your obedience. Your family is hanging on to your obedience to God. And I see people who have just given up, reach a certain age and say, I've just give up. And you can tell they've given up on how they look. They don't care about their fitness. They don't care about their hair. They don't care about the way they roll up. Come to ever, go to the bank in their pajamas. I know I'm going to get some hate mail on this one. Send it to Pastor Wayne. He can handle it. People just get to a place where they say, well, I'm just older now. It must not going to be happening for me. And since it's not happened yet, I'm just going to let myself go. I feel this for somebody. Hear this. I don't know who it is, but I'm just getting older now, and I'm just going to let it go. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, listen, I, I'm just at a place where I just, I don't care if I live or die. It's not going to happen. If, if it was supposed to happen, it would have happened for me by now. And I'm standing here to tell you at the age of 52 that I'm not giving up, that I'm not throwing in the towel. It was five years ago this month that I had cancer and God brought me through it five years ago this past week. I'm standing here to tell you that I'm not giving up. Go ahead and cancel the funeral. I've decided that I'm going to live and I'm going to live for God and whatever he wants to do in the remaining years of my life, I have hope that it will be evidenced in my life. I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting and I'm not dying either. Amen. Amen. I told Pastor Bev, I'm not picking out no casket. Surprise me. Surprise me. They say the earlier you pick your casket out, the better of the discount you're going to get. I'm not planning to die. Now, I know some of you would want, you're going to want to call me off to the side and say, now, Pastor, uh, I know, I know. All I'm saying is, surprise me. I'm not settling. It may take me longer. It may be harder than I originally intended. I may have to pay more. But I'm not leaving this life with anything, not anything in my boat. And you know, those are the kind of people I want to run with. Five years ago when I had cancer, I didn't want nobody to come into my hospital bed and say, yeah, my aunt died of that. The devil is a lie. Keep you and your big lips out of my room. I don't want to hear that. Your breath is on 100. I don't want to hear that. Come on. I don't want to hear that mess. I want to run with the kind of people who will say, you shall not die, but live to proclaim the glory. I want somebody to lay hands on me and speak in other tongues and say, get up off that bed. Get up off that bed and live. Come on, somebody. Say this with me. Write it down now, faith. I'm almost done. Now, faith. Now, faith. I got I to have a now, faith. Because I've got already a voice that's telling me I'm too thin, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, I'm too short. I've, got a, I've got already got a voice over here that's disqualified me. So when I come to the house of God this morning, I'm feeding this voice. Because this voice, faith cometh by hearing and hearing so I have to feed my faith so my faith can stay employed. Because faith can't be on the unemployment line. I got to fight this voice, so I got to feed this voice. And that's where I need faith. I got to close this morning. I got to close this morning. Your faith should point to something. Say that with me, point to something.
When people can see the evidence of it, it will shut the mouth of every doubter. When people see what is working for you, it will shut their mouth. When the evidence shows up, you'll shut the mouth of the devil. Why did God heal Lazarus? Do you ever read in the Bible where Lazarus was a preacher? Do you ever read in the Bible that God raised him up because he was a church planner? Do you ever read it that God raised and healed Lazarus because he was a singer and a psalmist? No. Why would God just pick Lazarus? He could have picked anybody. He raised Lazarus from the dead. You know why? So that when all his haters who've been drinking that haterade and all them people that come around doubting Jesus, all he'd have to do is point to Lazarus. Lazarus don't have to preach. He don't have to sing. He just has to breathe. He's the evidence. You need an evidence to point to. Your children are looking at you. You better have an evidence that what you have is real. I used to hear my mom and daddy and pray in the midnight hour. They'd wake me up praying. I come home from school, my mom be praying at the stove, speaking in tongues, and her and her dumplings praying in tongues, and them dumplings and them soup beans. Anybody had a mama like that? She'd be whipping that cornbread, praying in the spirit. I come in and I knew the power of God was real. There'd be sometimes I'd come home and I couldn't find her, and I thought the rapture would take place. Immediately, I, my heart was smote. And I'd run upstairs, and there she was on the bed, and I'd hear her cry, God save my son! Save my daughter, God! She'd be crying out to God. That's the kind of mom I grew up under. They had an evidence. So much so that sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and have a bad nightmare and I think I'd miss the, the rapture. I don't know why we preach. We preach a lot about the rapture growing up. We, we preach heaven is real and hell is hot. And, and if we could just get you to escape hell's heat, that'd be enough. Put the fear of God in you. And the Bible said in the book of Job that some would be saved by fear. Are you with me? I'd run upstairs in the middle of the night. I'd wake up fearful, think I'd miss the rapture. I'd run in and bust the door down on my mom and daddy. My dad come up out of the bed. I'd say, it's just me. <laughs> and I'd had a bad dream, and they'd lay hands on me. I went to them because there was an evidence. And what they had was real. you got to be able to point to something to your children and see that. Would you bow your head for a moment? Father, today I ask you to search every heart. Search us deep and search us wide. God, give us something substantial to hold on to. Let every church member today hear this message. Let every church attender, let every casual Christian, let every committed saint of God refuse to die today. Refuse to live all your life and come up empty-handed. God, I'm speaking to people today who I know that you're dealing with because you're dealing with me. That I would not leave anything, I would not leave anything undone. I want my grandbabies. To be able to point to the stones that were set up in the field as a monument unto you. I want them to be able to raise their eyes and point to an ark on the hill and say, Papa lived his life for God. Here's the evidence. Hope is an expected end. And I'm speaking to people today, maybe you feel like you've lost your hope. I'm here to tell you it's not over. God has given you a hope on purpose. Now he said, Hope is not the star, the supporting actor is. Here comes faith. Faith's going to do the work for you so that you reach your expected end. If you came here this morning ready to give up, I'm preaching to you. 
If you came this morning discouraged and confusion, maybe you feel doubt in your heart, God loves you today. And He has surrounded you with this word today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And I believe that your hearing has been captivated today. I believe that faith is being enlarged in you right now. And you are coming to a place and you will do so before you leave this room today. You will make a decision that you will not settle. You're going to believe God for your Isaac. You're going to believe God. It may take longer than you expected, but you're not going to stop believing. If you're here today and you need Jesus Christ and you, you're here and you say, I'm lost without Christ. I, I need to make a decision of faith before I leave here today. I know the Bible says that they that call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so today I'm going to call on the Lord and ask him to save me. I'm going to obey his word. If that's you, slip your hand up. Let me see who you are. Nobody's looking but me. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Anyone else today? I need Jesus. Thank you. I see you there in the balcony. God bless you. Are there others today? Yes. God bless you. Thank you. The Bible said that if you call on Jesus' name, he will save you. Father, I pray for every person that is here today that they would receive this saving faith and this saving grace. And I ask, Lord, today that you would bring salvation to them. And I want everyone that's here today, those that raised their hands and those that did not, say this prayer out loud with me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you to save me from my sin. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. I choose today to make you Lord of my life. And I believe that my life will be better with you in it. I believe that you died for me. Now I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord praise for salvation this morning? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.